The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Today's scripture comes from John 18, 28 through 40. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would have not delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered in his headquarters again, called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? And after he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thanks, God, for his word and before preaching. Um, let's pray. Lord, what a beautiful thing that we were just able to witness um, our children, our, our babes, just say thank you. Um, as we first sung, um, we give thanks to you because you are good. Even in the moments, the hardships of life, uh, when life just sometimes don't feel good, Lord, uh, we still have so much to be thankful for. So God, just pray, um, Holy Spirit, that you do a work um, in my heart through your word. Um, your word tells us that it's a double-edged sword used to teach us, encourage us, rebuke us. So, Lord, now I truly pray that you search our hearts, test us, see what makes us anxious, and lead us in the way of, of everlasting life. I pray, um, um, Jesus, Lord, that you are high and lifted up right now. And in your name, we pray next these things. Amen. 
Amen. Um, um, in your title, I mean, in your bulletin, the original title for this message was, Are You the King? Um, um, but I want to talk to you this morning about it matters who is king. It, it matters who is king. My childhood um, favorite movie, don't judge me, um, it's The Lion King. And, and it was my childhood favorite movie because growing up in the 90s, we didn't have Netflix and Disney Plus where we had access to unlimited brand new movies every day. Growing up in the 90s, we had one VHS cassette player. And we had a handful of movies, and we, and we rewatched those movies over and over again like it was our first time seeing it. And Lion King was the movie that I was forced to watch over and over and over again. But I loved it. And if you haven't seen Lion King, which I'm, I'm in my heart judging you if you have not, but Lion King is pretty much about who is going to be the king. If you remember, Mufasa was the powerful king who, who reigned um, and ruled the land, and Mufasa was a caring and wise king, and when, and when Mufasa reigned, the land flourished. Everybody had exactly what they needed because he was a good king, but, but we know his younger brother, Scar, was unhappy and displeased because he thought he would make a better king. And when Scar became king, um, he's proved to be selfish, greedy, and stubborn. And the land that was once flourishing is now dry and barren. All of the animals who once had all of their needs met are now hungry and weak. And the moral of the story is it matters who is king. Speaking of kings, Israel demanded God in 1 Samuel chapter 8 that, Lord, you give us a king. And the Lord God, he anointed that young shepherd boy by the name David, David, that pebble-throwing, giant-slaying David. And, and, and under David's watch, all of Israel was freed from their enemies. Under David's rule, he, he proved to be a good king, and the Lord blessed Israel, and the Lord and, and, and Israel experienced true peace. But we know David passed, and as the years went by, there came to be a, another king by the name of Manasseh. And Manasseh proved to not be a good king like David, but he was quick to shed innocent blood. And, and the Lord even said, because of this man's actions, I'm going to wipe out Jerusalem. Again, the moral of the story is it matters who is king. And what is king can make you or it can break you. It can lead you down a path of peace and prosperity or down a path of chaos because it matters who is king. Now, I know that most of us are Americans here and we are used to a, a democracy where we are able to vote for our president every four years. We are not accustomed to a monarchy where we are ruled by one king. But I want to make the argument that there is a king currently and actively ruling your heart right now. 
And I'm not talking about a king that, that, that has a diamond crown on his head. I'm talking about the king that controls your life's motivations, the king that you live for and dream about pleasing, the king that controls your future plans and ambitions. And I know some of you are some Sunday school warriors and, you, and your muscle memory is quick to say Jesus is my king. But I want you to take a moment right now to examine your heart and ask yourself the question, Jesus, are you really my king? If I can be vulnerable, um, I was a little fearful to, to preach um, this, this week, to preach to you this word this week. I felt um, as I began to prep and see what this word was about, um, I began to feel um, I'm the wrong person to preach to you. And I literally even prayed to God. I said, God, um, I'm afraid to preach because I feel like a hypocrite. Um, how can I stand before your church and, and talk to them about Jesus being the king of your heart when there are still some areas in my life where I'm fighting for control. Um, I'm still quick to run away from you, God, just like Jonah. I'm, I'm quick to live for the short-term and short-sighted gain over you. Yes, I know that you are the king of kings, and, um, but there are still areas in my heart where I'm fighting to keep control. And the truth is, we all have this fight to be our own king and live in our own kingdom because we still struggle, even as believers, to trust that Jesus is good. But the good news I have for us this morning is that even in our struggle to trust in and submit to Jesus, Jesus is a king who is not like any other king. Jesus is a king who doesn't forget, who forgives like no other king, who loves like no other king, and who redeems like no other king. And the good news is that Jesus' kingdom is not of this world, and Jesus actually wants you even in spite of your failures to experience his kingdom, but we must surrender and trust in him. And a simple thought that I have this morning is that Jesus wants kingdom people who will surrender control and trust him as king. Jesus just wants kingdom people to surrender control and trust him as king. And, and um, my first takeaway this morning that I want us to look at from this passage is verse 20, um, is that kingdom people must surrender control and say, Lord, your will be done and not mine. We must surrender control and say, Lord, your will be done and not mine. Look again at verse 28 with me. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning, but they themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so, they, so that they would not be defiled but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. So, the, so the, the two characters that we see right now are the Jews, who we know are the Jewish religious leaders, and Pilate, the Roman governor. And both on the surface seems like they are polar 
opposites. The Jews are concerned about keeping and protecting the law of God, while Pilate is worried about keeping and protecting Roman law. The Jews are saying that they bow down to um, the, the one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and, and Pilate says that my king is Caesar, Augustus. The differences continue, but as unique as these two Greeks, um, as these two people seem, they still have one major thing in common. Both the Jews and Pilate are stuck trying to build their own kingdom. Let's look at the Jews first. All throughout John, we see what the Jewish people trying to counsel, arrest, and kill Jesus. We don't know why. Like, why are they trying to kill Jesus? I mean, when you really think about it, it's, it's crazy. He, he ain't did nothing but heal folks, um, um, do some welfare stuff, give folks food, bless folks. Like, and they, they constantly trying to kill him. And the question that I, I kept asking myself this week is, why are they so bent and determined to kill Jesus? And I was reminded of the answer. I was given the answer. If we go back to chapter 11 when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, from an early grave, many people began to believe in Jesus. And, and John 11 verse 46 says this, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, You do not understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. They are seeking to kill Jesus not because he did anything wrong or broke God's law. No, they are killing, they are trying to kill Jesus because they are in fear of losing their earthly and personal kingdom. Now, quickly looking at Pilate, Pilate is a fascinating man. When I first read this, I'm like, man, Pilate feels like he's just in a tough spot. He's in a lose-lose situation. Like, he's trying to do the right thing. He told them three times, I find no guilt in Jesus. Jesus is innocent, but as the Jews continue to press in on him, he finally said, all right, crucify him. But why did he give in to their demands if, if, if he was the one in power? And I learned through looking at a um, historical document, um, Josephus, who was a famous Jewish historian, helps us to see that Pilate, it was re-election season. That Pilate was fearful of losing his political place. He was fearful of losing his political influence and his political power. So Pilate, in two, was trying to hold on to his earthly kingdom, his earthly control. And this is the problem of the Jews, the problem of Pilate, and it's, too, our problem. Because we all have this natural instinct to build our own kingdoms. There is this natural fighter in all of us to make our desires and plans happen how we want them to. You know what fighter I'm talking about, right? It's the fighter when you go 
on a family vacation and you make a schedule that you want the entire family to to stick by and now you are mad because everyone wants to sleep in because it's vacation and you are mad because in your kingdom everyone listens and obeys you it's the fighter in you that makes you have to get the last word when you are arguing with your spouse or with someone on Facebook or someone at school because in your kingdom you are always right and you always come out on top. It's that fighter in us. Little sir, my eight-month son, is, is, has just become a crawler. Pray for us, y'all. Pray for us. He is now a crawler, which means he is scooting all around the house. I fell asleep for about five seconds, and he was halfway up the stairs, and I, and Jay just so happened to walk in right when I fell asleep, and I looked like the, the bad parent. But he is scooting to grab everything on the floor. And Karis, his oldest sister, will have all of her toys out. And she will be in her own world playing with this one toy. And as soon as he crawls to the other side of the room and grabs a toy that she hasn't touched all year, she runs up, snatches it, and says, no, my toy. It's mine because in her kingdom, everything is hers. Everything revolves around her. And when I say, no, Karis, we have to share, she say, no, we do not. It is mine. <laughs> because in her kingdom, she is in control. In her kingdom, when she wakes up, I have to wake up. In her kingdom, when she wants some water, daddy has to get up right now and go get me some water. And maybe um, you have graduated from this toddler stage where you are more sharing and caring of others, but there is still a fighter in us that, that is fighting to build our own kingdom, fighting for more control, fighting for an, for an identity that makes us feel like we matter, fighting for more security. And we are willing to fight anyone who gets in our way. But in order for us to be kingdom people, to experience God's kingdom, we must surrender control over our lives and say, Lord, your will be done. If I can remind you of, of Matthew 6, when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, do you remember what he said? He said, when you pray like this, say, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come, your kingdom come, and your will be done, not my kingdom and not my will. Jesus kept talking after he taught his disciples to pray, and he told his disciples in Matthew 6, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth that's going to be taken away, that's going to be stolen from you, that's going to be eaten by moth, but store up treasures for yourself in heaven. Let go of your earthly material things and it began to treasure the eternal inheritance that is kept for you in my kingdom. He then at the end of chapter 6 kept talking and, and he said many of you are just so worried about your life. Aren't we all worried about our lives? 
our family lives, our children lives. We, we have a, a responsibility to, to, in a sense, worry, right? But he said, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what clothes you're going to wear. Don't worry about what food you're going to eat. Don't even worry about tomorrow, but do this. Seek first my kingdom and righteousness, and all of these things are going to be given to you. He shows us this, this, these, these two choices in the matrix, the two pills, blue pill, red pill. If you take the blue pill and you say, Jesus, I got this. I'm going to control my life. I'm going to worry about it. I'm going to make it on my own. He, he sits back and says, okay, if you do that, you can work and, and you will never be satisfied. You can rest and you will never um, 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 uh, um, be restored. You can run and achieve all of your dreams, and at the end, you still are going to look up and say, is this it? Was this really worth it? Or the red pill, you can sit down right now and trust in me, abide in me, ask me what is my will for your life, and give me control. Now, I want to talk about why we should want to experience this, this kingdom of Jesus, and this leads us to my second and uh, final point. I only have two points today, not the traditional three. Um, um, bless you. I know it's cold in here. We're trying to get up out of here. Um, and my second point is kingdom people live for a kingdom that is not of this world. So the Jews bring Pilate, hoping for Pilate to sign off on the execution of Jesus, and they don't have any formal charge. Pilate said, what, what did this man do? They, it's actually funny. They didn't even say what he did. They just said, oh, Pilate, just trust us. He's a bad man. We wouldn't be wasting your time if this dude wasn't worth being killed. But Pilate, being the good investigator that he is, he went inside to talk with Jesus one-on-one. On one. And verse 33, Pilate said, it says, So Pilate entered his headquarters and called to Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? In verse 36, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to you. But guess what? My kingdom is not of this world. And Pilate says, so you are a king. My kingdom is not of this world. Do you remember in John chapter 6 when Jesus fed the 5,000? What an amazing miracle that was. It was so amazing that the 5,000 men said, oh, shoot, y'all, this for sure is the Savior. And, and, and verse 15, Jesus said, perceiving that they were about to take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew to the mountains. These 5,000 men were so impressed with Jesus as a leader that they were going to take him by force and make Jesus their ruler. But Jesus refused because his kingdom isn't of this world. See, Jesus knew that what these men wanted wasn't what he was offering. 
These men, like many of us, wanted Jesus to come into their lives and take away all of their problems. They wanted Jesus to be a king that would give them back the political power and seats in Congress. They wanted Jesus to be a king that would make them a powerful nation so that no one could mess with them. They wanted Jesus, they wanted to use Jesus to build their own kingdom. And it's just not what so many of us still do today. For God to bless us by meeting our demands and needs. But Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. So what is Jesus' kingdom and why should we want to be a part of it? It's kind of complex and, and hard to understand. And you can ask Artez. I was asking him. I was distracting him from working all week because I was coming to him like, hey, man, can I talk with you about my sermon? Because I don't really know what it's about, man. I really need some help. I'm struggling. Because Revelation says that there is a new earth and a new kingdom that will come. So, so, so Jesus' kingdom is a, ge a geographical and a physical location, but, but it's, it's so much more than just a location. Jesus' kingdom refers to the character of God on full display. Again, think about the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. God, your glory and your character be displayed on earth as it is in heaven. See, God's kingdom isn't built on power, greed, pride, lust, and a freedom for everyone to do what they want to do. But God's kingdom is built on righteousness. It's built on peace. It's built on joy. It's built on unity. And it's built on submission to God's will. Did you know that Jesus is the perfect person to let have control? Think about it. At every step of his journey, Jesus has been in full control. Jesus was in control even when he was arrested. Jesus was in control when he allowed Judas to betray him. He was standing in the garden, and, uh, and, and Roman soldiers came bearing weapons to arrest him. And they said, are you Jesus of Nazareth? And he said, the great mighty I am. And these Roman soldiers bowed down before him. And this was Jesus' way of saying that there is no army on this earth more powerful than me. I am in control. He was... He was in control even when he stood before the high priest and allowed himself to be smacked around. This is, was his way of saying, yes, I am strong, but I'm also gentle. And he's even in control now standing and being questioned by Pilate because he knows what he has come to do to save those, to save his people. And this is what I love about Jesus right here. That Jesus is a king that is like, that is nothing like the kings that we will find in this world. Um, in 2005, I went on the class trip to D.C. and to tour the White House. And keep in mind, this was four years after 9-11, so security was still at an all-time high. And we drove 14 hours up to D.C., and all trip we were talking about, um, um, we can't wait to see the president. We can't wait. You know, we were some, you know, foolish teenagers thinking we was really about to go to the White House and meet the president. And, and, and as we got to the streets, I remember um, um, as we was walking down the streets, seeing snipers on rooftops. 
I was scared to even trip over my shoelaces because security was on an all-time high. And we had to go through multiple checkpoints before we even got into the White House. But even when we got into the White House, we had to walk in a single file line, and we was only able to see part of the first floor. And then our tour was over. And young Sergi was angry. Because I got on this bus and came up here to meet the president. But the president was unapproachable and inaccessible. Because this is what an earthly king is like. Unapproachable, inaccessible. We can't find him. We, we, we can't get to him. This is what an earthly king is like. But oh my, not my king. Because the king that I serve is not an unapproachable God, but the king that I serve actually walks down the streets with his people. The, the king that I serve don't hide behind the castle and send, and send his army out to fight his battles. The king that I serve says, hey, hey, son, how about you sit down? I'm going to go out before you, and I'm going to fight your battles for you. The king that I serve is a caring king who climbs down into the pit of depression with his people. Just ask David. The king that I serve is the king who walks through the fires of life with his people. Just ask the three Hebrew boys. The king that I serve is a merciful king who, who rescues and redeems his people. Even when they run away from him, just ask Jonah. He parts the Red Sea for you. Just ask Moses. He's a faithful king who is able to keep you when all those around you leave you. Just ask Joseph. This is the king that he is. He's a king who loves the unlovable, ex Hosea. He's a king who can make a way out of no way, just ex Esther. He's a king who is a father to the fatherless. You can ex me. This is the king that we serve. He is not a far distant king, even, even when you feel lonely, even when you ask him, why is my life going like this? I want you to know that he's with you. Emmanuel, the the one who walks with us, the one who fights our battles, the one who took our place so that we may live. This is the kingdom that Jesus is inviting you to be a part of and experience. But first, you must surrender control and trust him. Um, I talked about Emmanuel. Take a seat, son. Take a seat, Emmanuel. I talked about the Jews and Pilate and their fight for control, but I left one character out. There is one last person present who is taking matters into his own hand trying to be king. Look again at verse 38. After he, Pilate, said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in this man. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. Here is a third character introduced by the name Barabbas. And we don't have no... Nothing more to know about him than, than he was a robber. 
This is what John says. He was a robber. But if we look at Mark, you will find out that Barabbas was an insurrectionist who has murdered people in an insurrection. If you go to Matthew, you will find out he was a notorious insurrectionist. So in our terminology today, Barabbas is a terrorist. Barabbas, too, is guilty of taking matters into his own hand, trying to become a king. And But what's fascinating about Barabbas is that his name means a son of the father. A son of the father. And when I first learned that, I began to judge the Jews. And I began to say, are y'all so foolish that y'all chose a son of the father over the son of God? Y'all chose a son of the father over the son of God. But then I began to think about Barabbas. He was a man who was just sitting in his cell knowing he was guilty and minding his own business, unaware of what was going on outside of the doors around him. But then the crowd began to shout, bring us Barabbas. Bring us Barabbas. Bring us Barabbas. And he probably parked up in his cell like, hey, what's, what's going on? And then the next thing they heard was crucify him. Crucify him, crucify him. And Barabbas, I don't know if he was a praying man, but he probably started praying here. He was like, I thought I just had a life sentence. Now they want to crucify me. My life is over. But then I thought about who the son sets free is free indeed. And that Jesus being in control is still even in control here. And Jesus took the place of Barabbas so that Barabbas could go free. Jesus took the place of Barabbas, a son of the father, so that he can become a son of the father. And this is the good news for all of us here, that we too are Barabbas, guilty, sinful, can't get right. But Jesus took our place so that we can become his children. Jesus took our place so that we may have hope and life. Jesus took our place so that we may experience his eternal kingdom. So the only thing I want to leave you with is, is two words. Trust him. If you don't remember no point, if you don't remember nothing from this sermon, just remember these two words. Trust him. Trust him and trust him. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your goodness, Lord. We thank you for your power that you are in control, even in our darkest hour. Lord, I pray that, Lord, that your word, um, Holy Spirit, that you just move in my heart and lead, and lead us into a deeper fellowship, a deeper trust um, in you. I pray, Lord, that you chisel away the things that we are holding on to, that we may experience true life in your kingdom. I pray this prayer in your name. Amen. Amen. Receive the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you.
The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Be blessed, downtown church. Amen.